Brother Phil, thank you. Great job. Great song. Ladies, great job. Great song uh, as well. I uh, like that we can have somebody in their mid-80s sing and then have somebody in their early 20s sing. In fact, I would challenge our teenagers here. We really need um, three or four of you guys to get together and start a new group. I'm serious. And that means you're going to have to be committed to practice. And um, some of you all need to pray about doing that. And I, I would like to see some group about eight or ten years younger than them uh, start out. Think about it. Hey, listen, church is not just for kids. It's not just for old people. It's for everybody. There should be a variety of ages throughout our congregation. That's one of the marks of a healthy church. If a church is all young, something's wrong. If a church is all old, something's wrong. Amen? Uh, go ahead and get in your Bible to 1 Corinthians 14 before I chase that rabbit too far down the trail. As most of you know, on Sunday nights we're working through a series on Bible doctrine. I want us to understand not just what the Bible teaches, I would like us to become stronger and understand why. Why do we believe what we believe here? Why do we teach what we teach here? It is very important to becoming mature to not just know what, but to also know why. And sound doctrine, of course, though ignored by many today, is the source of our spiritual stability. That's why in the New Testament it tells us to give attendance, pay attention to doctrine. It tells us to take heed to doctrine. It warns us that in the latter days some would depart from the faith. It exhorts those of us to believe, to earnestly contend for the faith that was once delivered unto the saints. And that is exactly what we're doing. I want us to be a biblically-minded, biblically-grounded church in the midst of a lukewarm, uh, carnal world in which we live. Uh, now to me, uh, and I think many of you know this, Sunday nights, uh, for me as a pastor, they are for our church family in a special way. Now I know we have some committed members who only come on Sunday mornings, but on Sunday mornings I generally preach a more general message, and on Sunday nights... Uh, I preach and teach deeper things for those who want them. Uh, I purposely, on Sunday nights, I, I, we don't have any ministries going on other than nursery. Uh, on Sunday nights, we purposely uh, don't have permanent nursery, nursery workers like we do on Wednesdays and for Sunday school. Uh, this is our church family time. Uh, this is a time when grandparents and parents and Children sit in the same room and share the mutual experience of worshiping Christ together and hearing the Word of God together. And it, it really grates on my last raw nerve for churches to uh, not have evening service so their people can go home and sit in different rooms on their phone together and call that family night. But coming to church together somehow isn't family night. Uh, this is family night and I'm excited to, to be here. Um, tonight, even more than usual, our message is really uh, a family message. Uh, we are going to talk about some biblical principles, and then we're going to talk about how we apply some of those biblical principles here at Bible Baptist Church. Biblical principles are doctrine. How we apply some of those biblical principles, that can vary some from uh, church to church or even individual to individual, uh, but I, I want us to understand the difference 
and Bible doctrine, Bible principles, and healthy applications of those uh, principles. We have now for four messages been talking about uh, the doctrine of the church. Uh, I don't believe most people in our uh, day understand much of the doctrine of the church. That's why we've spent a lot of time on it. We learned that the church is uh, a local assembly of believers. Uh, Jesus made that very clear and that the church belongs to Him. It doesn't belong to a pastor. It does not belong to the deacons or the membership of the church. It does not belong to the world. Each individual assembly of believers belongs to the Lord Jesus Christ. We learned that a biblical church is a biblical leader and Paul ordained one in every church and had Titus do the same thing. We learned that a biblical church has a biblical focus. Christ gave us the purpose for the church. It is the great commission to go with the message of the gospel of Jesus Christ, to baptize those who believe and to teach those who believe the things, all the things that Christ taught us. And when I spoke last, we talked about how our attitude is supposed to be about the work of Christ in one of His churches. And we learned that Christ personally sets every one of His children in a local body of believers. We learned that Christ loved the church. He gave Himself for the church. He nourishes the church and He cherishes the church. And to be like Jesus, we need to have that same attitude that He has about the church in which He has set us. And we learned that there are some things that Jesus only gives His people through the church. And one of the pastors that He has gifted and called to do just that. And how you can believe without the church. You don't need the church to be saved. But understand that you will never have all Christ wants to give you unless you are committed to the church where He has placed you. Uh, and I'm taking a lot of time on this because I want us to understand. Listen, we live in a world where the church, the doctrine of the church has been warped. In, our, in 2022 in America, believers are abandoning the Lord's churches for national authors and impersonal ministries under the guise of being spiritual but not religious. That's gobbledygook. Believers are abandoning the Lord's churches to gather in a house without a biblical leader, without a biblical focus for their assembly. Some are abandoning the Lord's churches by redefining Christianity and discipleship to being good people who live with the priorities of a culture in decline. And one reason Christianity in America in general is not very healthy is there's a lot of corruption and misunderstanding of the doctrine of the church. And so tonight I want to approach a practical subject, a couple of Bible principles with a lot of application. Uh, I hope you understand many of the things God has taught us, He taught us by principle. And if something is not applicable in one culture or a different time, then it was never a biblical principle. Biblical principles are timeless. And though the application of those does at times change as things change. And so tonight, what I want to do is begin with a question. How is it that each of the Lord's churches are supposed to be organized and administrated? It is no secret that bodies of Christ attempt to function as a pure democracy. Members just vote on everything. And there are probably people in this room, and you have been spiritually wounded because of division and strife 
they've been through over the years as the pride of individuals at business meetings caused people to abandon love and grace to make sure they got the color of carpeting they wanted. It's no secret that some bodies of Christ attempt to function as a strict dictatorship and the pastor of that body controls everything on an everyday basis both in and out of the church for the people of God and Likewise, story after story could be told by people here and within the sound of my voice who had a shepherd that acted like a dictator and lord over every area of the lives of God's people to make sure that everyone had exact conformity. It's also no secret that some bodies of Christ are controlled by committees, others by denominational leaders and individuals outside that body of believers. How is it that the Lord's church is supposed to be organized and administrated? And how do we, once we learn those principles, how do we apply them here at Bible Baptist Church? Now I know for tonight's thought, for some of you, this is going to be a bit tedious. But for some of you who are more interested in a couple of deeper things of God, I hope these principles from the Scripture, I hope, you help, I hope they help you understand the Lord's church and what He's looking for in each of His churches. Now if you're able to stand, if you would stand tonight, please, in honor of God's Word, you should be in 1 Corinthians chapter 14. I'm going to read one verse. Verse 40. Ready? 1 Corinthians Chapter 14, verse 40, says, Let all things be done decently and in order. Not some things, all things. Let all things be done decently and in order. Thank you, you might be seated. The most messed up churches of the seven churches to which Paul wrote nine letters was the church of Corinth. This is written, this particular statement, in the context of spiritual gifts and most especially the use of the spiritual gift of prophecy in tongues. And Paul here, he exhorts them to do things decently and in order in the church instead of in the chaotic manner that they had been doing them. Uh, When you look at creation... God made things in order. Order is obvious. That's why uh, calculus and mathematics and chemistry and physics work. Uh, God created a world of order. And it is obvious here that God wants some kind of order in His church and in the handling of His spiritual gifts in particular. Turn up a few pages or back a few pages to chapter 11. It isn't just that the believers in Corinth were mishandling spiritual gifts, they were also mishandling the Lord's Supper. In fact, they brought the judgment of God on them in doing so. Notice the instruction that he gives them as he closes out this chapter focused on the Lord's Supper in 1 Corinthians 11, verse 34. He says, if any man hunger, let him eat at home, and that you come not together into condemnation, and the rest will I set in order when I, when I come. Uh, order is obvious in the natural world. And from this statement, it is obvious that God wanted some kind of order in the way His ordinances were handled. In this particular case, the ordinance of the Lord's Supper. And some were just coming hungry to church, and some were coming stuffed, and and the Lord's Supper had become something different than what He intended. Uh, Turn back in your Bible to Titus chapter 1. By the way, we'll be turning to a lot of spots tonight. I love the Bible. 
I think it is the life mission of every Christian to become increasingly familiar with the Word of God. Notice in Titus chapter 1 in verse 5, Paul says, For this cause left I thee in Crete, that thou shouldest set in order the things that are wanting and ordain elders in every city as I had appointed thee. Uh, there were some issues in the churches in Crete. Paul sent Titus there, we just read, to set them in order. And by the way, since we're in Titus, and we just read that what he wanted to do was to ordain Titus to ordain elders in every city, notice in verse 6 he says, If any be blameless, the husband of one wife, having faithful children, not accused of riot or unruly, for a bishop must be blameless as a steward of God, not self-willed, not soon angry, not given to wine, no striker, not given to filthy lucre. Notice in verse 7 it causes calls those same people that he called elders in verse 5. Notice he calls them bishops. Those terms are interchangeable terms for the same individual. Uh, he asked Titus to ordain elders in every church because a biblical church is a biblical leader. Now, we don't know exactly what was going on, but something in the area of Crete was going on with the way they were handling leadership. Either they were picking the wrong kinds of leaders, or they weren't picking any leaders at all, and Paul sent Titus there to set that in order. Listen, order is obvious when you read anything about the Jewish tabernacle. Order is obvious when you read anything about the sacrifices. Order is obvious when you read anything about the Jewish temple, and it is obvious that God also also wanted order in the churches in Crete because our Creator is a God of order. Now, I'm not implying that everything we do must be pre-written or planned. I'm simply saying that God is a God of order. I'm saying that it is not more spiritual to refuse to plan or refuse to prepare to serve the Lord. Now listen, some people have this idea that God didn't show up unless the plans they had fell apart. To, to some people, a message that is prayerfully planned and delivered by a preacher has something wrong with it. Uh, I talked to my old pastor and he would tell me that in the old days, they all looked down on a preacher who had notes. And that nobody would prepare and that all the guys who said they were preachers would go out beside the church and get under a tree and pray and then somebody would stand up and say, I have a message. Now listen, uh, if that's the way they want to operate, that's fine. But please do not tell me that that is superior to somebody prayerfully planning and studying the Scriptures to deliver something from the Word of God that was planned and prepared from the Lord. To some, if there is a basic order of service or a plan for the singing, then something's wrong. They just despise order. I'm not implying everything must be prepared. I'm just saying that we have a God who loves order. He wants things done decently and in order. God is not against planning. God is not against preparation in His churches or in His work. Uh, though God has given us some kind of liberty in the order we establish, I can guarantee you this, God is against laziness. 
God is something less than pleased when we give our best to all kinds of other things, but when it comes to anything we do for the Lord Jesus Christ, we feel like I'm just going to do whatever I want now, slop something together at the last minute. There's something wrong with that. Now at times, our best might be what we would call off the cuff because of unexpected circumstances. At other times... Our best might be something we prayerfully put together or practice in the case of a singer ahead of time. A lot of our young men, when they do a message here, they will practice it at home. Uh, By the way, one of the hardest things to do when you're beginning to preach and teach is to know how much notes to prepare to go 10 minutes or 15 minutes or or 30 minutes. I don't blame them for, for doing that. I respect them for doing that. It shows a level of respect for what they're doing. Listen, uh, the Holy Spirit should be free to work among us, but He most often works through some kind of order. The Bible principle is very clear. God wants things done decently and in order, but here's the question, what does that have to do with us here at Bible Baptist Church? How do we apply that principle here? And I just want to go through a couple of areas where we apply that principle to another principle. Please first go in your Bible to 1 Peter chapter 5. 1 Peter chapter 5. By the way, it's much easier just to make up God in your own mind. To just think, hey, God's like this, God is happy with this, God isn't happy with this. But listen, that, that's not God, that's an idol you call God. If you want to know God, you've got to read His book. You've you got to find out what He says He is like. You've got to find out what He says He wants. Listen, the average person has made an idol out of Jesus of Nazareth. They couldn't tell you five things He said. They couldn't tell you five things He did. They couldn't tell you five things He commanded. And yet they're a follower of Jesus. No, they're a follower of Jesus they've created in their own mind. You want to follow Jesus, you've got to find out who He was. He's a real person. First thing, there should be order in how believers should be led. There should be order in how believers should be led. Notice in 1 Peter chapter 5, Peter says here, uh, The elders which are among you I exhort, whom also an elder, and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, and also partaker of the glory that shall be revealed. Notice, Peter calls himself an elder, and is speaking specifically to elders. Notice in verse 2, he says, feed the flock of God, which is among you. That word feed there is the same word as pastor, shepherd. He says, feed the flock of God, which is among you, taking the oversight thereof. That word oversight is the same word as bishop. Taking the oversight thereof, not by constraint, but willingly, not for filthy lucre, but of a ready mind, not as being lords over God's heritage, but being in samples to the flock, and when the chief shepherd shall appear. That's the same word as pastor too. Feed, shepherd. When the chief shepherd, that's Jesus, shall appear, ye shall receive a crown of glory that fadeth not away. Now, we saw earlier how the term elder and bishop were synonymous for the same person, and we see here the three terms that the Bible uses for the spiritual leader in a church. 
The first term is the word elder, which is some denotation of wisdom. The second word is bishop, which has something to do with authority or oversight. And the third word is pastor or shepherd or the one who feeds. God has one individual that he wants to fill these three roles. Listen, each assembly having an individual tasked by God with these three roles is very different from what goes on oftentimes in churches. Many churches are led and controlled by denominations. Others are led and controlled by committees or a board of elders or a board of deacons. Some have no human leadership whatsoever. You may remember in the book of Revelation when Jesus had something to say to His people. Do you remember what means He used to communicate to all of His people? He found seven churches in Asia and He began His message to each of those seven churches with something like this. To the angel of the church of Ephesus, right. Singular, angel, messenger. To the angel of the church in Smyrna, right. To the angel of the church in Philadelphia, right. To the angel of the church in Laodicea, right. And seven times, it was that same pattern. One individual, one messenger in each of those congregations to whom he communicated to communicate to all of his people. Go back, if you would, please, to Acts chapter 20. The first of those seven churches to whom Paul or Jesus communicates in Revelation was the church of Ephesus. Now the church of Ephesus, we know, was a very large church. They would have had what we would describe today as a staff. It was not just a smaller assembly with just one individual elder or leader, one bishop, elder, pastor, person. They had many elders. And notice in Acts chapter 20, uh, verse 17, and it says, And from Miletus, he, that's Paul, sent to Ephesus and called for the elders of the church. Plural. They had a staff. And notice in his message to these elders, these spiritual leaders in the church of Ephesus, notice what he says to them in verse 28. He says, Take heed, therefore, unto yourselves, and to all the flock over the which the Holy Ghost hath made you. Notice the next word, overseers. Same word as bishop. It says to feed the church of God. Feed, same word as pastor. Which he hath purchased with his own blood. Again, same pattern. Uh, there was one elder to whom led that church. And those leaders had three functions. Every spiritual leader, every pastor is supposed to have all three of these functions. They are an elder denoting wisdom. They are a bishop denoting authority, they are a pastor, a shepherd, a feeder, denoting their watch care for the Lord's sheep. That's order in the church when it comes to leadership. Um, <laughs> go back to Acts chapter 15. In Acts chapter 15, as I mentioned this morning, uh, Paul and Barnabas had returned from Antioch because there was some conflict there over Jewish believers coming and telling people they had to keep the Jewish law to be saved. Now Paul and Barnabas, they said that's not right. They disputed with them, but the apostles were still around. And so they went back to Jerusalem, and there in Jerusalem they met with the apostles and elders, plural, of the church there in Jerusalem. And notice what happens in Acts 15 verse 4. When they were come to Jerusalem, they were received of the church and of the apostles and the elders, 
and they declared all things that God had done with them. Verse 5, but there arose certain of the sect of the Pharisees which believed, so these are saved Pharisees, saying that it was needful to circumcise them and command them to keep the law of Moses. Uh, by the way, uh, notice that uh, having disputes in the church is nothing new. In this particular case, some who were a part of the sect of Judaism that was a Pharisee believed in the Lord Jesus Christ and they wanted to require the Gentiles to keep all the laws of Moses. There was a dispute over that. Verse 6, the apostles and the elders came together for to consider this matter. Now, if we were to read through this, uh, if we go through the verses 7 through 12, we'll find the discussion that they had. And uh, Peter brings up, some things that he has to say, and Paul brings up some things he has to say, and Barnabas brings things up that he has to say, and notice how it all concludes in the end in verse 19. The pastor of the church, a man named James, he said this, wherefore my sentence is that we trouble not them which from among the Gentiles are turned to God. <laughs> this is not James the apostle. He was dead by this time. This is James, the half-brother of Jesus, who was the, pot, the pastor of that church. If tradition is right, he was such a man of prayer that they say his knees were all calloused like the knee of a camel. That's who he was. He was the pastor. And after all this disputing, even in the presence of apostles like Peter, that pastor made the decision in the light of the Scriptures. Say. Verse 15, James says, And to this agree the words of the prophets, as it is written, After this I'll return, and will build again the tabernacle of David, which has fallen down, and I'll build again the ruins thereof, will set it up, that the residue of men might seek after the Lord, and all the Gentiles, upon whom my name is called, saith the Lord, who doeth all these things, known unto God, or all his works from the beginning of the world. He quotes Amos, and he says, Wherefore my sentence is. How did they make decisions in the early church? Uh, they had honest discussions. People were allowed to bring up their point of view. The leaders of the church met. They gave their perspective. And that leader of the church at that time, James, says, hey, my sentence is this. Listen, that's order in the church. I didn't establish that order. <laughs> that's the order established in the Scriptures. Uh, to be honest with you, uh, I don't like having that kind of authority and influence. It makes me nervous. Joe will tell you, and so will Josh. When somebody comes for, to me for counseling, I almost never specifically tell them what to do. Almost never. Many of you have come to me for counsel. I will give you biblical principles. I will give you, this is what the Scriptures say. I will give you what I consider to be some wisdom in the situation, and then you make your decision. Oh, listen, you answer to God for what you do, not me. I answer to God for my influence on you. That's a scary thing to me. Listen, there might be some young men who think they want that responsibility of authority, but it's only because they haven't considered the weight of it. Some of you young men who think you want to lead a church, you really ready for somebody to maybe have lose their job or have their marriage fall apart because of what you say to them? You really ready for somebody to mishandle their children or their family? 
Listen, God didn't intend this stuff to be taken lightly. Now listen, if you come to me, I'm glad to listen to your input and opinions as long as you don't bring them to me five minutes before service or five minutes after service. I mean, I'll listen. People bring me ideas all the time. Uh, sometimes they bring me good ideas. Sometimes they bring me ideas that are okay. Sometimes the ideas people bring me are bad. But if you know me, you'll know this. If you bring me an idea... I'm not going to let you sit there and pick work for other people. What I will always say to you, and many of you have had me say this to you, wow, you know what, if that's something we decide to do, would you like to be responsible for it? And you know what happens? People stop bringing me ideas. But listen, it is so easy to sit back and say, you know, I think we ought to do this. I think they ought to do that. I think you should spend your time here. Listen, uh, there's something to be said for taking responsibility. By, by the way, let me just pause and thank God for the people at Bible Baptist Church that step up and take responsibility in ministry. I was just really taken back today when I, I came in early and our welcome team had been here practicing and training and going through scenarios. Listen, it's very easy to say you should do this and you should do that. There's something to be said for being responsible for it. Now, while these doctrines may seem tedious, it is a Bible doctrine that God wants things done decently and in order. And it is a Bible doctrine that God wants each of His assemblies led by one individual who fills those three roles of pastor to shepherd and feed His people, uh, uh, bishop who has the authority in that assembly, and elder who is supposed to have some measure of godly wisdom. And, and by the way, uh, it is not unbiblical to call that leader an elder. It is not unbiblical to call that leader a bishop. Uh, it's not unbiblical to call them pastor, though that word is only used in the English one time. It is a Baptist tradition to call that person pastor. Yes, a Baptist tradition. By the way, I like that tradition. And it is a Bible word. And we use it here. But it's not just that there should be order in the way believers in the church are supposed to be led. Go back in your Bible to 1 Timothy chapter 3. 1 Timothy chapter 3. I know this is a church family message. But we're a church family. We're brothers and sisters in Christ. There's a reason that, that, that we're distinguished like that. Here's number two. There should be order in our basic philosophy of leadership. God wants things done in decently in order. Uh, there should be order there should, in our basic philosophy of leadership. You say, what's the basic Bible philosophy of leadership? Here it is. God expects more from leaders than followers. That's a basic Bible principle. That's a Bible doctrine. Now, the application of that is not Bible doctrine. The principle is Bible doctrine. 
Uh, we earlier read a few things that uh, God, through Paul, to Titus, asked him to have in the leaders that he ordained there in Crete. Uh, we'll read a few of them for a pastor here in 1 Timothy chapter 3. By the way, as we read these, uh, I'm going to go through this, and it may seem tedious to you, but here's what I want you to notice. These things, by and large, are things that all Christian people should be doing. It's not that, you know, to be that spiritual leader in the congregation, you're doing all these things that no one else has any idea they're supposed to be doing. These, by and large, are things for all believing people. And leadership, leaders are selected from those who are doing the basic things they're supposed to do as a Christian. Notice in 1 Timothy chapter 3, this is a true saying, if a man desire the office of a bishop, he desireth a good work. A bishop then must be blameless. The husband of one wife, vigilant, sober, of good behavior, given to hospitality, apt to teach, not given to wine, no striker, not greedy of filthy lucre, but patient, not a brawler, not covetous, one that ruleth well his own house, having his children in subjection with all gravity. For if a man know not how to rule his own house, how shall he take care of the church of God? Not a novice, lest being lifted up with pride, he fall into condemnation of the devil, Moreover, he must have a good report of them which are without, lest he fall into reproach and the snare of the devil. Notice the qualifications for a deacon. Same thing. Things for all Christians. Likewise, must the deacons be grave, not double-tongued, not given to much wine, not greedy of filthy lucre, holding the mystery of the faith in pure conscience. Let them also first be proved. Let them also use the office of a deacon, being found blameless. Even so must their wives be grave, not slanderers, sober, faithful in all things. Let the deacons be the husbands of one wife, ruling their children and their own houses well. For they that have used the office of a deacon well purchased to themselves a good degree and a great boldness in the faith which is in Christ Jesus. And we could literally spend three or four weeks on the details of that, but for tonight, we're just establishing a biblical principle of part of what it means to do things decently in order. And that's this biblical principle, this doctrine, that God expects more from leaders than He expects from followers. That's why in Acts chapter 6, when they had conflict with the, how the widows were being served, they, the apostles said, hey, listen, once you get seven men, honest report, full of the Holy Ghost, and full of wisdom, and you put them in charge. So why do you do that? There were always qualifications for somebody to be a leader. Listen, that is the opposite of giving people positions to get them involved. That is the opposite of looking in the church at someone who has talent or success in the business world and saying, wow, you have talent and success in the business world, therefore you should lead in the Lord's work. No. Listen, to have someone serve and help and work to get them involved is one thing. It is a completely different thing to have someone lead. God, listen, you say, Brother Wally, what are you looking for when we're picking a Sunday school teacher? What are you looking for when we're getting a master club worker? What are you looking for? I'm looking for somebody who's already doing the things a Christian should be doing. So why is that? A biblical doctrine. A biblical philosophy that God expects more from leaders and followers and the things He expects are basically on the list of things He's looking for from all of us. Now here at Bible Baptist Church, we have leadership covenants. 
any ministry you work in, before you begin to work there, you will get a leadership covenant and someone is supposed to sit down with you and talk to you about, hey, go over this, make sure that you're okay with this. That's the principle. Listen, I didn't write those and hand them out so you can ignore them. So some here, you, you might have a, a leadership position and you don't even remember what was on that. Why? Why? Listen, uh, we ask those who lead here, or those, listen, if you're going to stand up on this platform and sing, don't, don't you suppose it's kind of reasonable that you weren't in the bar on Friday night? Don't you suppose uh, that, that it's reasonable that if you're a Sunday school teacher or, or someone in leadership that you're here at least two of the three services we have a week? I mean, in an ideal world, you'd be here all the time. I, I get it. A lot of people just cannot do that. But listen, it, it's not unreasonable. It's not legalism to expect people who work and serve and somebody to sing up here. It's not unreasonable to expect them to be doing what a Christian's supposed to be doing. And there's something backwards of, well, I would do what I'm supposed to do if I was a leader. No, in the work of God, you're not supposed to be a leader unless you're already doing what you're supposed to do. Because of this Bible principle, we have arbitrary lines drawn in all kinds of things. Listen, uh, there's an arbitrary line of what it means to dress in a professional manner. It's not legalism, it's keeping a biblical principle. So it is to legalism. Uh, listen, everybody here has some line drawn where you don't want to have somebody teaching or preaching or singing to you uh, unless this. And so I just think it's legalism for you to require men to wear ties and ladies to wear skirts to sing. Listen, I don't care how you come when you come here. But listen, if you're going to step up, we have some expectations. It's a Bible principle. I mean, would you be okay if somebody was up here in jeans and a collared shirt? What about shorts and a t-shirt? What about spandex and a wife beater? What about a tube top? What about a bikini? Listen, listen, you all got off the boat somewhere along in there. We may get, we all may all get off the boat somewhere, but listen, it is an arbitrary line to keep a Bible principle that we've asked for these things. Listen, there's something wrong when you're a leader here and the only time you show up is to sing. There's something wrong when the only time you show up here is to teach. There's something wrong. It's part of order in the Lord's church. It's part of this Bible principle that God expects more from leaders than followers. And we could go on and on about applications, but I think at this point it's pretty clear. Which gets us to our next thing, go to Ephesians chapter 6, because it's not just that there's a Bible doctrine, a Bible principle that God expects more from leaders than He expects from followers. Here's number three. There should be order in the basic idea of where church authority stops. Notice in Ephesians 6 verse 1, children obey your parents. 
in the Lord, for this is our right honor, thy father and mother, for this is the first commandment with promise, that it may be well with thee, and that thou mayest live long on the earth. And fathers, provoke not your children to wrath, but bring them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. Listen, uh, God established human authority in every area of our life. Uh, when it comes to the church, though God made the elder, pastor, bishop, gave him authority. Listen, my authority in your life stops at the property line. You have authority in your home to do what you want to do in your home, and you answer to God for it. Listen, I have at times asked for something, but listen, when it comes to authority, I have no authority outside the boundaries of here. God gave parents authority over their own children. God gave husbands authority over their own wives. God gave a government's authority over their own citizens. It's part of the order God established. Say, so how do you apply that here? It means that you answer to God for your beliefs, your homes, your Facebook posts, and your choices. Uh, please don't come to me and gripe about what somebody posted on Facebook. Ch chances are real good that I did not see it. Uh, I, I don't have four or five hours a day to lay on that thing and, and live and die by whether people like everything I do or don't do. And some of you don't know what I'm talking about. Uh, quite frankly, you know, when I do look on it, it just leaves me shaking my head, S-M-H. I mean, people who call themselves Christian posting pictures of, of them traveling around the country with someone who's not their spouse. And, and then Christian people liking it. I mean, people posting all kinds of things. They're as ungodly as ungodly can be. And Christian people like... That, that's why I don't get involved. Christian people, otherwise sensible people, posting, posting pictures of themselves or, or their nearly adult daughters in a bikini. Listen, what you wear on your own in private is between you and God. But I would just say this, why don't you have more sense than to post that stuff from the rooftop to the world? Well, I guess it's alright if you have sand under your feet and your desires to get to tan to wear a colored pair of underwear. I'm not mad at anybody. I'm trying to get us to think and understand where my authority stops and your authority starts and you answer to God for these things. Listen, I am not the belief police at Bible Baptist Church. I know there are lots of people in this church that do not believe like I do. And by the way, that's okay. You answer to God for what you believe. I answer to God for what I allow people to teach and preach here. I am not going to monitor uh, every joke, every comment, every application. L listen, we need to grow up and understand that, you know what, it's okay to be funny, to sometimes take humor too far, and, and to just have an application we don't agree with. Can we be adults? Listen, uh, you know our church position, we are not Calvinists. We have people here who are. By the way, I'm glad you're here, I love you, but you're not allowed to teach that here. 
If you want a platform for your pet beliefs that are different from the ones in our church doctrine, you go somewhere else and you just see who shows up. Listen, you have no business dividing this body of Christ over your pet doctrines. You want to know what this church teaches and believes? We're not hiding it like so many churches do. They've got two or three statements on their website or no statement at all, or their statements are so vague you have no idea. Listen, from day one, Bible Baptist Church, from before we started, we had a website, had seven of my messages on, and we had the same doctrinal statement that we have today. We have a position on closed communion, accepting baptisms from other churches. We have a position that there's no smoking on our property outside your vehicle. No secular music at our weddings. No alcohol at our receptions. Listen, you don't have to agree. I I love you. I I get that you don't agree. My wife doesn't agree with me on everything. And quite frankly, I don't agree with her sometimes. What's that one show that you love that I hate? Several. What's the one you watch most of the time? Yeah, no, not say yes to the dress. I like that just because I like to see what bridezilla's, and I feel like, sir, don't do it, don't do it. If she's like this now, oh, Project Runway, that's what it is. Man, she loves that show. I'm gonna just tell you, I, she makes me leave the room. I, I can't keep quiet. Listen, if you and I can love our spouse and not agree on every jot and tittle, I mean, can't we in the Lord's church not not exactly see eye to eye on on things and love one another and and get along here? There's a lot of other areas we have order. We have order in how we handle our finances. You say you're going long tonight, and that's all right. You'll be all right. I'm not going to take any time, but listen, we on purpose have two people that carry the money to the people that count it. We have two people that count it. We have someone who deposits it who's different from someone who counted it. That's on purpose. On purpose. I have never in 16 and a half years signed a check to myself or anybody in my family. Never. That's on purpose. You say, uh, in our Constitution, it's in there. I limited how much money I can authorize on my own. So you're the pastor. You're right. And I chose to use my authority to limit my authority. We have order in the way we do things. God wants things done decently in order. We have order in the way we handle our business meetings. Listen, if you're the kind of person who wants to publicly debate everything at a business meeting, you've got to go elsewhere. Listen, you have private access to myself, to both of our assistant pastors, to all of our deacons, to give them as much input as they can take. I promise you, any input you give them, we will talk about it at our meeting. 
But if you're the kind of person who doesn't feel like you were listened to, if they don't do what you said, please hear me when I say, don't give anybody any input. You're not giving input. You think you're giving commands. But if you want anything you have to say considered, please tell us. Don't we consider all kinds of things, Josh? All kinds of things. There's order in the way we handle our special singing in congregationals. There's order in the way we organize our Sunday school, children's church, master club, teen ministry, and our buses. We, we do this on purpose. Because the scriptures teach, it is a Bible doctrine that all things be done decently and in order. The Bible principles are doctrine. These applications, they are not. Did you hear me? They are not. They are the way we do things here as a body of Christ. Amen? If you quietly stand.